Hi, you're listening to Under the Radar. Between the main episodes where we feature our big band or artist interviews is this space, where I shed some light about the making of the current episode, or read an Apple podcast review, or an email we might have received from you. So, if you're interested in being featured, please write us a review on Apple Podcast or email me at celine.toblocky at undertheradarmag.com. If you didn't catch that, it's in our show notes. So today we're talking about episode two of this season, where I spoke to the lovely Emily Moss, also known as Emmy the Great. As someone who composes for podcasts, in this piece of tape, which didn't make the final cut, it was interesting to hear what she says about how she made the opening song, Mid-Autumn, which I used to cut between stories of her childhood in the episode. And then we talk a little bit about the final track, which is called Heart Sutra. The opening track on the album is more like a soundscape you know, like the beginning of a podcast rather than the beginning of an album. I mixed that song myself instead. Bea Artola mixed the whole record, but I mixed the first one because I felt she was going to make it sound too proper, like good. Like she, you know, like her her quality is... She's so good, yeah. Yeah, like unfortunately, like she's just a very extremely high quality mix. Yeah, so even like with Heart Sutra has that beautiful kind of um, baby gurgles in there and but it's not so obvious it's really like sound designing for podcasts because it's like you you hear it but you don't really and then you can still walk away thinking was that a baby's gurgling or was that some other thing in there that's my voice it's pitched it's a pitched ah. voice um yeah i i did actually like i put i know this is cheesy but i put my baby's first sonogram heartbeat into some of the songs but it sounds like a train um I like the way that when people make radio, I can see the way when editors are doing like adding these little Foley moments and Mm. sound textures. Like I really like that. I find it really helps songs because if you think about songs like stories, then Foley works just as well. It doesn't need to be about the melody and the lyrics only to tell the story. It can also be like something more subtle. I thought that worked really well. The album was so much more immersive for me. So here's the track now and see if you can spot the sounds we're talking about. The Heart Sutra is a sacred Sanskrit text and is foundational to Buddhism. Its core teaching is to get rid of negativity and any other sort of obstructions from your mind, to be open essentially. Um, And you can often hear the Heart Sutra being chanted as a prayer at Buddhist temples. For Emma, she also reveals her source of inspiration for the song, and for much of the album. There's a really, really beautiful Fei Wong video on YouTube of her singing the Heart Sutra in a monastery, which is what I watched over and over again while I was making this record. 
If you're interested, go check out that YouTube video. I'll drop a link in the show notes too of the one I found. Fei Wong, for those of you who don't know, is a Chinese singer that was huge in the 90s. And she had a sort of crossover when she did a gorgeous cover of the Cranberry song Dreams, which was also a massive hit for the Cranberries back in the early 90s. That Fei Wong cover was in the movie soundtrack of Chungking Express. It's an iconic Wong Kar Wai film, which everyone should go watch. Um, and Fei Wong is an amazing artist. Robin Guthrie and Simon Raymond from the Cocteau Twins actually wrote two songs for her that the band then later covered as tracks that they called Tranquil Eye and Touch Upon Touch. But these were originally Chinese songs that appeared on Fei Wong's album in 1996. So yeah, go listen to those as well. I'm always inviting listeners of the show to write us Apple Podcast reviews. And this week we have this one. Um, so the title is Completely New Lens on Musicians. Celine is a great host who has this gift of making listeners feel like they're a part of the conversation. This podcast is a rare opportunity to witness the different sides of the artists featured on the show. I absolutely loved listening to the Emmy the Great episode and hope to see more Asian artists in the future. Well, you're in luck, as tomorrow we're dropping a bonus episode as part of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It will feature Tao Win of Tao and the Get Down Stay Down, and we hear her perspective on growing up Vietnamese American and how that impacts her identity and her songwriting. Um, but today, my guest is Jenny Liao. And yes, she wrote that review. <laughs> I did say, if you want to come on the show, write a review or email me about an episode that grabbed you. It is really that easy. I'm Jenny Liao. I'm a writer currently focusing on the Asian American experience. I'm working on a debut children's book about Cantonese food that's due out in 2023, as well as a personal essay on my struggle to communicate with my parents in my native tongue, which is Cantonese, because over the years, I've just lost fluency in it. When you were listening to the episode, what sort of resonated with you? I don't even know where to begin. I felt like the entire episode resonated with me. You know, starting from when Emmy shared that she wouldn't have become a musician without the experience of feeling like she never belonged anywhere. I related to that so much, but in terms of writing for me personally, I feel like the driving force behind my desire to write is just me desperately yearning to connect with others who feel the same way, who also felt like they never quite belonged anywhere. And then to the bits where you both chatted about Canto pop stars and Cantonese songs, my, I feel like my whole body lit up because I've been listening to Cantonese songs more these days because it's just a way for me to reconnect with, you know, my first language. And also it brings me back to my childhood from 
when my parents would just put on like a Cantonese song on a Sunday when they were cooking or when they were, you know, cleaning the house or something like that. It was just giving me lots of warm, fuzzy feelings inside. <laughs> what kind of music would your parents play in your house? They played a lot of Jackie Chung and Andy Lau and just I'm so happy now that Spotify has all of their songs and I mean the name of the songs they're in Chinese characters so I can't read them so I'll just click through every single song and play it until I recognize one and I'll just put it in a playlist for later for me to come back to whenever I want to brush up on my Cantonese or just when I'm feeling more nostalgic. Yeah. So what kind of brought you to this wanting to try and connect with your mother tongue, essentially, in that way? And, um, and how come along the way, you know, you just stopped speaking it? Well, I feel like there's this extreme tension when I hear Cantonese. I simultaneously feel that nostalgia, but also guilt. So it's nostalgia from, I mean, I mentioned earlier, returning back to those happy moments in my childhood. But then there's also this guilt because I spent a majority of my life shutting out Cantonese as well as my Chinese culture so much that, I mean, I can barely communicate with my parents anymore. So knowing that this is my first language, knowing that I'm not fluent in it anymore, just hearing it and speaking it more now helps me feel closer to my family as well as my heritage. So, I mean, it's something that's totally in my control. I don't speak Cantonese fluently anymore, but I can. I just have to learn it. I have to be around it more. I have to listen to it more, speak it more. And whatever I can do that's within my control now, I'm trying to do more of it. Whether that's, you know, listening to more Canto songs or, you know, when I heard you and Emmy talk about Wong Kar Wai movies. That's also something that I've been doing, watching his movies. And, you know, although I'm watching it with subtitles, there's this moment of pride when I notice something in the translation that isn't 100% accurate. And I'll point it out to my partner who I'm watching it with. He speaks Mandarin and I'll tell him, oh, that translation's incorrect. It actually meant to say this. And I mean, it's a start. Yeah. So what changed for you? Like, there's another episode coming out on Friday, which is with Tao Win of Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down. And she's Vietnamese American. And she talks about like growing up in Virginia in very like white suburbs. And she grew up, her mother had a laundromat. And how that sort of internalized racism was always around. And so she never wanted to draw attention to herself and then she would just minimize her Asian-ness. No, that discomfort that you describe is 100% what I felt growing up. I grew up in a primarily white neighborhood, went to a school that, you know, had primarily white students. And everything from my language to the food that I ate to my family life at home was something that I felt like I had to hide in order to feel more accepted at school and in public as well. I remember instances where my parents would pack me Chinese food to bring to school for lunch, and I would be horrified when another student would question it 
you know, n- not even knowing what my lunch was, I would just take out my lunch box and, you know, the sense of soy sauce and vinegars and things like that, it, it permeates through the box. And when someone would <laughs> point it out and say, what's that smell? I would just be completely mortified and just shove my lunchbox away. And it's like, I don't know who brought that. I'm not sure. <laughs> so there was, there was a lot of that going on well into, I would say, my high school years. So Jenny wrote a piece not too long ago that's still up on the Bon Appetit website. Um, it's called My Secret Affair with Chinese Takeout where she explains her complicated relationship with race, food, family, and identity. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a difficult time in my life growing up in my father's house where his career was working in Chinese takeout restaurants. He he was a cook in the kitchen, you know, whipping up the beef and broccoli and... General Tso's chicken and my favorite, which was chicken and garlic sauce at the restaurants he worked at. But at home or in front of him, I was never allowed to eat it because to him, that wasn't Chinese food. That was food that was created for Americans. And it was also just very ironic because this was the food that, yes, was created to suit American tastes, but then at the same time, Americans looked down on it for complex amounts of MSG in it or, you know, the high fat value of the dishes and and things like that. So there's just so much irony surrounding it, conflict surrounding it. And when I had it for the first time, It was after my brother brought it home because my brother was just that rebellious. He just didn't really care what my parents had to say. When my brother gave me that first taste, I was immediately hooked. My dad found out and he got so angry with it. In the end, I just found ways around his anger and would eat it at friends' houses or eat it, you know, earlier on in the night before he would come home from work. So it it felt like I was hiding my Chinese identity outside in public when I wasn't with my family. But then at home, I was hiding my Chinese American side, this fusion cuisine that was invented in America that my dad didn't approve of. And it took me a very long time to really accept it all for what it was. I mean, maybe not completely yet because I still won't eat it in front of my dad. And my dad doesn't know that I wrote this (laughs) about him. So please don't tell him. (laughs) But it's, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey for me. So what is the difference between the food that your dad cook in the Chinese restaurant to suit sort of American palates compared to the variation that would be cooked at home? So he would cook traditional Cantonese dishes at home that were very lightly seasoned. In Cantonese cuisine, you really focus on the quality and the freshness of the ingredients themselves to bring out the flavor rather than relying on spices. So he would cook a dish called gai, which is translated into English, white cut chicken. And what it is, is just a gently poached whole chicken 
with some scallions, some ginger. Once it's done poaching, it's chopped into bite-sized pieces on the bone and you dip it into shallot sauce. That's basically the type of dish that we would eat. The poached chicken, the steamed fish, uh, jing yu. And that was just like night and day when it came to comparing that to the dishes that he would cook in the restaurants where there were heavy sauces, high in sugar, and deep fried, which I mean is delicious, but not something that people would typically find in a Chinese home or in China at all. Mm. So for you, what does it mean to be Asian American? For me, being Asian American is not trying to separate the two. It's understanding that it's a complicated amalgamation of the two. It's expressed differently across the Asian American identity and community. I mean, for me, it's, it's, I'm still figuring it out clearly, but <laughs> it's a combination of what I grew up with and how my parents raised me and the values they instilled in me and how I translate that in America. I think a lot of people now who feel the same way as me or share a similar background to me, other people who are first-generation immigrants, we're all bonding together, trying to figure out what it actually means to be Asian-American. Because we know what it's not. It's not being Asian and it's not being American. So it's up to me personally to define what that means. Yeah, and I imagine it's just like an ever-evolving thing. And I think what Emma says in the episode her, where her partner and her child is, that's where she belongs. So they can go like anywhere in the world and that's where she belongs, which I feel like we all do that in some ways. I don't even think that's like, like an Asian thing or anything. It's like anyone who's like left somewhere and goes and lives somewhere else will have that disconnect where you're like trying to make sense of where you belong. Did you like the songs from the episode? Oh my gosh. Yes, I did. And it was so cool for me to hear someone who is bilingual singing in both English as well as Cantonese. I feel like I hadn't heard that before. And it's also why I think I felt so emotional listening to that first track of April, you know, mid-autumn when, when she's singing Cantonese or the Cantonese version of Social Halo. It, it was just... it because it wasn't something that I typically came across, whether, you know, in my past growing up or even in present day, really, it was very exciting for me to listen to it. And, and I felt a real connection to her. I'm so happy that you interviewed Emmy the Great. Her story is very unique, but also so relatable. And I shared the episode with all of my friends. Oh, that's nice. That's like all I can hope for. Do these interviews and other people can A, find a new artist to love and more like somebody who you really connect with because you can see a reflection of yourself mirrored back at you through them. You mentioned that uh, how she described home was wherever her family was, which I can 
definitely relate to as well. And I feel that too. But listening to the album, it gave me that sense of home too. When I when I listened to it, it ignited those feelings of my childhood. I, it's It's hard to explain it, but it was just the feeling that I got and the melodies and the way that she sang and the way that she wrote the songs. It, I mean, just overall with the interview feeling like I connected with her listening to the album, I feel like she transported me back to my childhood, which I thought was very, very sweet and something that I also haven't felt in a long time listening to music. Thank you so much, Jenny Liao, for coming on the show. You can follow her on Twitter or Instagram at J-E-L-I-A-O, J-Liao. She's also working on a couple of children's books on Chinese food that explores the ideas we discussed today. I hope you've enjoyed this bite-sized Under the Radar episode. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, apps like Overcast and Podchaser, wherever you get your podcast, basically, so you don't miss next month's episode. Follow us, write a review. Again, email me at celine.toblocky at undertheradarmac.com. Till next time. <laughs>